Hello and welcome back to the Ghost Generation Podcast. My name is Dylan and I've been a paranormal investigator for about seven years now. In today's episode, I'll be covering the history and haunts of Mid-Orange Correctional Facility in Warwick, New York. So I asked on Twitter what type of episode I should publish and the majority said like a history or haunt episode. So here we are. Um, If you want to get involved for the next episode, just shoot me a follow either on Instagram or Twitter. Um, Those links will be down below in the description. So also by popular demand, this is going to be a, uh, an unscripted episode. So I have an outline in front of me right now where I'm basically just going to try to keep myself on track, but hopefully this feels a little more authentic and you guys enjoy this more. Um, if you guys are new to the podcast, take a look at my past episodes and let me know what style you like more. But yeah, uh, let's just dive right in. So Mid-Orange Correctional Facility originally opened in the 1930s as a vocational school and like a reform school for boys. Um, As many as 400 students would live on site at this time. And it was open and kind of operated this way until the 1970s. Many of the students were 13 to 15 years of age, but up until about age 19, kids would lie about their age to avoid a prison sentence. So, you know, they would rather go to a reform school than go to jail. So I guess that makes sense. But ironically, it was converted to an all-male medium security prison in 1976, and in 1977 it opened, received its first prisoners, and it was renamed Mid-Orange Correctional Facility. It's in Orange County, New York, so makes sense, right? At its peak, it housed around 1,000 inmates. So it went from 400 students to 1,000 inmates. That just kind of blows my mind. But typically it held around 750 inmates, so it wasn't in a state of like perpetual overflow. Um, during its peak, it was the, you know, the time of the war on drugs. So I guess it makes sense. They were very strict on drug charges. A lot of people were getting locked up, but I totally glossed over something. I'm just going to go back real quick. Um, kids my age were lying to avoid a prison sentence. Like, I don't know, maybe I can pass as a minor, but like that blows my mind up to age 19, they would be able to lie and go to this reform school as opposed to going to prison. I don't know, that blows my mind, maybe that's just me. But in 2011, the prison was closed through an order by Governor Andrew Cuomo, and in 2018 into 2019, a soccer star actually purchased the land that the prison sat on and made it a sports complex, of all things. Personally, I feel like that's kind of weird, you know, maybe make it into like a, I don't know, a museum or something, but that's really cool that they're able to save this location And I guess play soccer, baseball, hockey, field hockey right next to it, you know? Um, It's kind of funny. When we do the history tour on our investigations, usually right as we're finishing up, they're finishing up the soccer game. Um, So last time we did an investigation, we were coming around the side of the soccer field right as they cut the lights and like heading up to the building. It was kind of eerie, kind of ominous. It was pretty cool. Um, But yeah, I love that they're saving this location and it's kind of like a unique take on using the land, I guess. Um, today on the property, there's actually a brewery, like right up the, right up the road from the prison. Um, they have an adaptive sports organization on site as well. Um, the fields that I just mentioned, and of course the prison itself with all the dormitories and mess halls and whatnot. Um, this location is really interesting because it looks like people just went to lunch and never came back. Like there's chairs set up, like they were doing groups. Um, there's writing on the blackboards, calendars are kind of left there. Um, it's just kind of eerie, you know, um, it kind of brings a new light to abandoned, you know, people, it looks like they just went to lunch and never came back. That's the best way to describe it. 
Um, I've been able to visit Mid-Orange a few times now, and every time I've been there, it's we've had good stuff. From Renpod stuff to Spirit Box, um, interactions, flashlights, we had some cool Estes methods there, um, intelligent responses on the DR60. Um, for those who are kind of like new to the paranormal, a Rempod is basically emits its own EMF field, so when something breaks that field, it goes off. It's like touch activated. Um, the spirit box just scans through radio stations really quick, so if you get like a full word or a sentence, um, it's, you know, it's paranormal. It's weird. Uh, flashlights, we set them so they're just barely on, or just barely off, rather. So the theory is that spirits can go up and either touch it or turn it or whatever they do, and the flashlight turns on for yes or no questions. Um, the Estes method is a sensory deprivation, kind of like experiment. Um, we use the spirit box, as I just described, and we plug them into noise-canceling headphones and the person going under. Um, they put on a blindfold so they're not influenced by our questions that we're asking and they can't really get a feel for what we're asking, you know what I mean? We like to use the Estes method a lot because um, naturally your brain, when you're asking questions to the spirit box, you're going to look for an answer. Like if I say, if I say, were you an inmate here? Can you say the word inmate? Naturally, your brain wants to hear inmate so bad. So if you hear some garbled noise, you might think it says inmate. But when someone goes under, has noise canceling headphones on, um, they can't see you because they're blindfolded. They have no bias, I guess you can say. So if you were to get inmate in that scenario, that'd be a lot cooler. Um, and finally, the DR60, the Panasonic DR60, those are very expensive right now, but um, we're lucky enough to have one. They originally came out and were used for lectures for the most part. People would, they're uh, voice activated. So people would put them on their table, listen to their professor speak and play them back when they went back into their dorm or whatever. But most of the time there would be other voices that weren't in the lecture hall at that time. So a lot of them got returned because people thought they were defective, but turns out they might just be picking up ghost voices, you know? Uh, it's kind of hard to understand how we can hear stuff on a voice recorder, but not audibly. You know, you get into difference of radio waves and theories of different dimensions. It's like, that's a whole nother episode topic, you know what I mean? But on top of all that, we've had intelligent knocking on command. That sounds kind of weird. But we'd basically ask, where are you? Can you let us know when we get knocking? Um, we'd ask, can you do it again? More knocking, you know, that sort of thing. We've seen shadow figures, which I guess is pretty common in most of the places that we go in this field. Um, there's also a series of maintenance tunnels under the prison. When we first went there, the guide actually told us, like, make sure you have, you know, more than one person with you or you're going to get lost. You can get really turned around easily. You know, it's a dark tunnel. Everything looks the same. Um, there's rumors of mistreatment of the prisoners down there. As during the winter, sometimes they take the prisoners down there to get in between buildings. It's just easier. And, you know, there's no cameras down there. So there's rumors that the guards would abuse the prisoners down here, but that's not really founded in fact yet. Um, down there, we've been rushed up on. Like, we've heard footsteps running towards us. We've had angry voices in the DR-60. Um, but we're not really sure why they'd be upset down there. Like, maybe they're maintenance men and we're in their way. Maybe they're prisoners or guards that have been abused or did the abusing and they don't want to be found out, you know? So overall, it's kind of strange. But Mid-Orange quickly became one of my favorite spots because 
usually when I go to prisons and stuff, I kind of use me being a military police officer uh, to my advantage, I guess you could say. Um, but this place remembered me. So the first time I went there, I kind of said, you know, I'm a military police officer. Um, I'm not an actual cop, but I'm kind of a cop, you know. What do you think about cops? Turns out, being inmates, they weren't too fond of cops. But the second time we went there, um, or the most recent time, rather, I was actually requested by name over by the vocational area in the back of the mess hall. Um, so that was kind of strange. We heard my name on the BR-60, so we said, you know, if you want Dylan to go back into the vocational area, why don't you turn on the flashlight? Immediately, flashlight turns on. We're like, okay, you know, maybe that's just a fluke. Maybe you should come up to the REM pod and make that go off, and then we'll know for sure. Sure enough, REM pod goes off. And then we heard footsteps, like in the back of the vocational area, um, in the back of the mess hall. It's kind of hard to describe the layout. You'll just have to go there for yourself. Um, I'll cover that at the end of the episode. Don't you worry. But, yeah. So, apparently they remember me. And I wasn't really sure why they would remember me in particular. I'm sure they've had tons of cops go through there and former guards. But, in 1979, National Guardsmen actually broke a strike at Mid-Orange. Um, a ton of D-Guards went on strike. So, they had the army go in, basically. And I figured maybe they remembered military policemen or the military being there. Um, that kind of begs the question... Does this mean spirits have a long-term memory, like our own? And if that's the case, how long are they trapped in a location? It's like, you know, they remembered me for, I think it was a year or six months. Either way, they remembered me for a long time. So how does that work? I always feel like I walk away with way more questions than answers when I go on these ghost hunts, but that's kind of cool. You know, they remembered me. Um, but yeah. Mid-Orange always seems to be an active location, and with Haunted Nights events, you can check it out for yourself. So Steve and I, we run the investigations, we bring a ton of the equipment from the TV shows like Ghost Adventures, Ghost Hunters, all that, um, ranging from K2 meters to motion detectors, REM pods, and we encourage you to bring your own if you have any. We only sell 20 tickets per event, so if you wanted, you could check in, receive the history tour, and most likely not see another person on the investigation until we check out eight hours later. If you want to check out this building with us, go to hauntednightsevents.com and snag yourself a spot to join us, or many of the other spots we'll be visiting this year. For smaller locations, we kind of have to stay in groups of 10, um, just so we don't have noise contamination, but for larger spots like Mid-Orange, you're basically free to roam. You yeah, like I said, for the larger locations, you can kind of free roam, um, but for the smaller locations, we do have to make groups just to limit noise contamination, but definitely check out hauntednightsevents.com, join us on an investigation, we're going to some really awesome spots this year. And as always, thank you guys so much for listening, if you made it to the end, thank you so much for your support, let me know on Twitter, Instagram, whatever you use. Um, links to my social medias, Haunted Nights events, the Hudson Sports Complex, all of that will be down in the description below. Let me know what you think about this episode style. I feel like it's going to be a little bit longer, maybe a little bit more authentic. Um, take a listen to my other episodes and just let me know. But yeah, thank you again for listening, and I'll talk to you soon. See ya.